We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. All hit radio. X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the all-new Exxon Broadcast Network and the Talkstar Radio Network and our growing family of broadcast affiliates across Canada, the United States, Central America, the Caribbean, South America, the Pacific Rim. Let me see. We have Australia, Asia, Africa, and Europe. My email address is exxon at exxonradiotv.com on MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com and our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is Joseph Nesgoda. He is the author of a book that, well, you know what? Let, Let me just say this. Everyone listening no matter where you are on this planet, has heard the name John Lennon. I remember sitting in front of the black and white TV at home in Montreal the first night the Beatles came on, and I was hooked. I was hooked. John Lennon was my hero. It was a sad day when I learned that John Lennon had passed away. It was, a, it was also a sad day, the day that I found out that the Beatles had split up. We're going to be talking about Joe's book entitled The Lennon Prophecy. Now, uh, Joe was, like myself, a true lifelong Beatle fan. As a child, he began collecting magazines, posters, books, and albums. But after the assassination of John Lennon, he began to uncover clues that pointed to a much more sinister meaning behind Lennon's death. Joe had reason to believe that John Lennon may have well sold his soul to the devil and that the assassination was merely Satan collecting his due. 
Joe reads countless books detailing Lennon's life, and even more clues arose. He listened to all of John Lennon's songs and scores of lyrics that had once seemed innocent, but suddenly resounded with a new and sinister meaning. Hmm, reminds me of the old song that you put on the record player and you spun it backwards. And you had all these secretive and hidden lyrics in them. He had reviewed photographs and noticed formerly inconspicuous details that now seemed to be so telling and so clear. While at first they had, he had just been stumbling across these, these books and these photographs and these albums for evidence, he was now driven to uncover the truth, the truth behind the mystery of the Beatles' uncanny success and John Lennon's shocking murder. Joe Nesgoda never liked what he found, but he became at times obsessed with discovering more and more information that supported his suspicion. Joe finally put his evidence on paper, ending up with the shocking compilation of evidence that was published as The Lennon Prophecy. Joe's website, Exonation, is www.thelennonprophecy.com. And joining me now is Joe Nesgoda. And Joe, welcome to the Exxon. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be with you today. What was it like when you started discovering that what seemed to be, you know, just really nice music had a much more deeper and sinister atonement to it? Well, I think I'm very much like you and millions of other people. Just we were all fascinated by the Beatles. I am a first-generation Beatle fan. I saw Ed Sullivan on February 9th, 1964, and from that moment on, I, too, was hooked. But there was always something I could never understand about my obsession. I mean, I liked other bands. I liked Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones, but it was different with the Beatles. There was something that was just magnetic drawing me to them, and I could never figure it out. And now, like we talk about these clues, these clues, it's, it might be new to some listeners, but to anyone who was around in that generation, my generation, um, it really all started with the Paul McCartney death clues. Um, and you talk about spinning records backwards. Yep. That was one of the first things that I did. And so I don't see, I don't view myself any differently than any other Beatle fan um, in as much as I really was a, a zealot. I loved the Beatles. And I listened to their music and really, um, you know, um, I guess you could say like just like a real avid fan, like most of us were. And I, too, was, you know, I'm no different. I got that. It was the White Album. Um, and released by the Beatles in 1960. Hey, Joe, stand by. You, Joe, you and I have to take a commercial break. We'll be back in two minutes talking about The Lennon Prophecy. Joan as a goat is our special guest. www.thelennonprophecy.com The things you say Joseph Nesgoda is our special guest explanation. He's the author of The Lennon Prophecy. His website is www.thelennonprophecy.com. And we're talking, of course, about 
John Lennon and the Beatles this hour here in the X-Zone. All right, Joe, so there you were sitting in front of your TV set watching the Ed Sullivan Show. And did you ever think at that moment, if someone was going to, if someone could have stepped through a time-space continuum porthole and said, you know what, Joe, in your later years, you're going to write a book about John Lennon called The Lennon, Lennon Prophecy. What would you have thought? I might have not been too surprised. Like I say, I can't explain why I wrote this book. I am not in the entertainment field. I've never written a book before. Mm-hmm. I'm not even educated as a, as a writer. However, the, I have what I call, what I like to refer as intuitive knowledge. I mean, this book was writing itself from the beginning. It was prophesied from the beginning. John Lennon's death in all the songs and the lyrics if you, it is demonstrated by my website. The who, what, when, where, why was all in there in black and white under our noses for decades. And I always never understood my fascination with the Beatles. But I just, everything I've ever read about the Beatles, I've memorized. I couldn't explain why. I saved albums, pictures, newspaper articles, anything I can get, I saved. And I don't know why. Well, it turns out that that book was writing itself this whole time. And then once I sat down, once John Lennon died, and I pointed, like we talked about earlier, the Paul McCartney death clues, Mm -hmm. once I pointed those clues in John Lennon's direction, it clicked. And I mean, a lot of the clues had been out there, like we say, on the White Album, number nine, number nine, played scratch backwards, turned me on dead man. There was always something lurking just below the surface that was sinister. There was always that element of death surrounding the Beatles. And it's very difficult for people listening to this now to say, oh, John Lennon, they have warm, fuzzy feelings. But if you go back in time like I did in research and look at the newspaper articles that were written at the time, it was a little bit of a different story than what we all remember. But we have to also take into consideration that the media looked at rock and roll totally different back then than they do today. Uh, You know, John Lennon, uh, Buddy Holly, Elvis Presley, they were a threat to so many because it rocked the very foundations of uh, society and what certain members of society thought society should be like. Uh, I I remember certain uh, Beatle records being banned when the Beatles first came out. Certain radio stations didn't want to play their, their records because it was the work of the devil. So was that foresight? that these radio stations had, or was it just synchronicity that this is how things worked out? Well, first off, I don't, I've given up on synchronicity and coincidence, because if, if, if you want to chalk each one individual component or each clue to in synchronicity or, or to, uh, you know, in, in that realm, mm-hmm. um, maybe you could. But when you put it all together, it's just more than coincidence. Okay. It really is. Can you help and us? Put... sense something. All Everyone right. sensed something. So help us build up the case. Okay, well, all it is is this. Paul McCartney, these death clues came out. I mean, I'm always fascinated by the fact there's still an occult following out there that thinks Paul McCartney's dead, even though he's alive and we've seen him. But there's still that belief. These clues are so strong and take such a grip on people that, and they, that they, believe, they believe them. Well, I did too, like not believe that Paul was dead, but believe that there was something to these clues. And so when I pointed these clues in the direction of John Lennon, like I said, pieces in a puzzle all started to fit together. I didn't have to force things, and I didn't, I didn't do anything that we, any one of us could have done. But then again, I can't explain why I was, what I dare say, chosen to write this book. I, I don't know why. But I'm seeing things for the first time that you will not find in print. Like, for example, let me give you an example. 
the Beatles themselves were playing this game with these death clues. John Lennon wrote I, uh, 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 wrote the song um, A Glass Onion in mm. 1968, and he says, here's another clue for you all. The, the walrus, walrus is Paul. Paul. Yeah. So he was playing the game. John Lennon was playing the game before there was a game because the, the whole thing with the Paul McCartney rumors, death clue rumors, didn't come till 1968. So there's a break in the timeline that I, I can't really understand how John Lennon would be writing, here's another clue for you all, the walrus was Paul. And then in 1969, we find out what that meant, where somebody started to uncover this. Now, one of the clues that I saw within days of John Lennon's murder, I was looking through the Magical Mystery Tour album. This is on the website, thelennonprophecy.com, mm -hmm. looking through the booklet, and there's a picture of John Lennon walking out of a ticket agency. And he's got a smile on his face, and in the background it says, the best way to go is by M, D, and C. A fatal message the best way to go is by Mark David Chapman, MDC. Now, I saw that within three days, uh, and I don't know why. I've seen that picture since 1967, but all of a sudden it became very clear to me what that was about, or at least it started me on this plight to fight, figure out what this was all about and to try to make sense of it all. And that's what this book is. I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything. You judge for yourself. Look at the facts and see what you see. Do we know for a fact that John Lennon is dead? Well, we, there's, no, there's no doubt about that, and we know who did it. MDC, Mark David Chapman. That sign didn't say, have a sunny trip with, Mark, with MDC. Mm -hmm. It said the best way to go, which is a very peculiar way of wording something, is, by, is not with, but by MDC. Now, people will say M and D coaches is a famous, is a, you know, is a reputable uh, transportation company in England. Yes, I get that, but it doesn't say it. If you look at the picture, the picture was cropped off and says MDC. Now, who put that there? And you say, is that just coincidence or synchronicity? Maybe unto itself it is, but when you put these other things together, it paints a different picture. So why did they decide to do the entire Paul McCartney death hoax then? Was this, was this a dry run for Lennon's actual death? Well, that's something that I, you use the word dry run, and it's something that I've often pondered about the dry run, because there were a number of what we call dry runs associated with John Lennon's murder. Mm. For example, Mark David Chapman made a dry run from Hawaii to New York City, carrying the gun. And he didn't, it wasn't, the time had not, the prescribed time had not come yet. So he did not carry out the act in November. He went back, it was almost a dry run. And then earlier that day, Another dry run where he was standing outside the Dakota, this is Mark David Chapman, the guy who murdered John Lennon, with his hand on the gun at 11 o'clock in the morning. It wasn't the prescribed time. Lennon came out and he got that album signed. He signed, Mark David Chapman got John Lennon to sign um, a, an album as an autograph or as a souvenir, and he could have killed him at that time, but he didn't. It wasn't the prescribed time. And by prescribed time, I mean Tuesday the 9th. Tuesday, December 9th. Now, in the United States, it's Monday the 8th. But he was shot dead on 1130, which was five hours ahead in England, where if, let's say for the sake of discussion, there was a pact, it would have been too, stupid bloody Tuesday. John Lennon's quote from I'm a Walrus, stupid bloody Tuesday, number nine, number nine, the Tuesday the 9th. Did Chapman have any association or any affiliation with any satanic group? Well, it, I was very, I consider myself almost brave because when I say that brave, most Beatle fans, zealous Beatle fans like myself, are reluctant to even say his name. A lot of Beatle fans will not say the name Mark David Chapman. They'll just refer to him as the man who shall remain nameless because they don't want to give him any credence or any credibility to what he did. 
But I had no choice but to include Mark David Chapman in there. He had a very troubled life. He was with, with religion, out of religion, in religion, out of religion. But if you read the articles and you read the books that I read on Mark David Chapman and saw the people that were with him, he turned to Satan. He opened doors that couldn't be closed. He turned to Satan to give him the power. Now, whether you believe in good and evil, God and Satan, he did, mm -hmm. to the point where he thought, but when he did this act of John Lennon, and I'm not trying to defend him, he's guilty. He's spending his life in prison where he belongs. But he believed in his heart, in his mind, that he was possessed by demons. He heard voices telling him, he's mine. Do it. Do it. Do it. Twenty years of momentum pent up in that one fatal moment when he killed John Lennon. And then when he was sentenced to Attica, he, he had a... Um, he had an exorcism performed on himself where these demons were removed. So now whether you believe in those ex, you know, exorcisms or not doesn't matter. Chapman believed it. Interesting. So when did Lennon sell his soul to the devil, and did it have anything to do with his comments where he said that uh, the Beatles were more popular than Jesus Christ? Well, the thing is, it's very difficult to pinpoint this. I mean, I'm at a an absolute advantage here in as much as I can reverse engineering. I know the answers. Now I can ask the questions. And if you count back like these packs that are written, why I, why I, deep in literature all the way through the centuries, there's been these tales and stories and, you know, supposedly true stories like Dr. Faust, where these people have um, turned their backs to God, mm -hmm. turned towards Satan for 20, year, 20 years of wealth fame. Well, if John Lennon did that, and in fact, if that actually did occur, 20 years earlier would have put you back at 1960. And it's interesting because in 1960, if you go back almost to the day, December 27th, they performed uh, in, um, in um, this ballroom in Litherland, England. And when they performed, they came on stage and inexplicably the crowd rushed and started screaming for the first time. Up until that point, people just danced and did what they did at these things. But something happened, and all the Beatles noticed it, and they, it, it was marked as a turning point. So if there was a pact, it would have had to have been like right that 20-year thing. Like, like Paul McCartney says, it was 20 years ago today, Sergeant Pepper taught the band to play. You know, who's Sergeant Pepper? Now, when looking at the rise of the Beatles, uh, would this mean, based on Lennon's pact with the devil, that the other Beatles have also made pacts with the devil? because Paul McCartney is still enjoying mega success today. Ringo Starr is, is enjoying mega success. George Harrison, unfortunately, passed away. Well, it's, it's very difficult to say, because, I, like I said, I don't have all the answers. This is a mystery. Mm -hmm. This is a book on John Lennon. But I did see indications where they, in, I believe that they knew what John had done. And if they, like you want to say, rode his coattails through fame... All of them were very, very, you know, like people said, well, you're just making excuses and these guys had talent. Okay, I get it. There were a lot of people in England that had talent. You talk to people back then, there were bands on every street corner. What separated these guys from everybody else? What made them happen and, no, and other bands didn't happen? That's what I was trying to come to grips with. All right, stand yes, by. We've got to take our final, we've got to take our news break here. Final break. Yeah, I'm pushing the envelope today. We'll be back on the other side of the news at the bottom of the hour as the Exxon continues with our special guest, Joe Nesgoda. We're talking about his book, The Lenin Prophecy. His website is www.thelenninprophecy.com.
My name is Michael Telstar, Canada's leading mentalist from Toronto, Ontario. Hi, my name is Blinda, and you're listening to my dad, Rob McConnell, on the XM. This is Psychic Dorothy from St. Catharines, and you're listening to Rob McConnell. Hello, my name is Holly Reeves, an astrologer from astro for You, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Welcome to The X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Joan Nazgoda is our special guest of this hour. He's the author of The Lenin Prophecy, www.thelenninprophecy.com. So, t- tell me, Joe, is there a supernatural explanation for all the clues that you've uncovered? Well, that's like, that's, like you say, paranormal normal, or supernatural. Mm-hmm. It's a very difficult subject because you can't, like, I have no uh, contract signed in blood. These things are like a matter of interpretation. And so, I, you know, like I say, I don't have um, the silver bullet to explain all this, but I do say if you look at all the clues and all the facts, maybe you can reach your own conclusion and come to an understanding of, of what I'm trying to say here in my interpretation of this. As, as, a, as a hardened Beatle fan, did you notice any difference in the writing of the music that John Lennon was putting forth that, that you could point to us and say, all right, now here's an example of where I think the deep side, the dark side, started taking over. Well, I'll tell you the one thing that there's there's a couple of turning points that I noticed, like historical events, we'll call them. Mm-hmm. Even before John Lennon was murdered, I was watching the footage, uh, watching some of the footage of him at Shea Stadium in 1965, and I'm not alone in this. Other people that have watched, you can go yourself on YouTube and look at that there was something different. He didn't even look human to me. When he was doing that song, Help, and the lights were shining on him and his hair, and it, it, I tell you, there was something odd. And again, that was mysterious. It's like trying to describe what magic is. And now, like with John Lennon, even early on, um, you know, looking back and trying to interpret the songs, and as a matter of, you know, sometimes we try to complicate things. People were always taking the Beatles' lyrics and twisting them around and trying to make them and trying to understand them. I'm not trying to do that. I'm maybe the maybe I'm just trying to read them for what they were. Mm-hmm. And like you say, something that's dark. 
Um, I even start off my book with the quote from John Lennon from the song I'm a Loser, which has happened in 1964, very early on. It says, what have I done to deserve such a fate? I realize I've left it too late. And so it's true, pride comes before the fall. I'm telling you so that you won't lose well, all. Well, you see, I look at that song, and I used to be in a Beatle clone band, and I used to I used to play Lennon's music. In fact, I, I have you know a number of the Rickenbacker guitars that he played not the ones that he played but the same models but when you're when you're when you're talking about I'm a loser to me that was a love song you know and and you know it was written at a time where you know these guys were young they you know Lennon was married to Cynthia at this time true but you know this you know although I laugh and I act like a clown beneath this mask I am wearing a frown my tears are falling like rain from the sky is it for her or myself that I cry so you've got to take the right. entire song into context. I, I I don't see any significance in that one little in that one little uh, well, phrase that that right. You know. Well, I guess the thing is, if you like, I said, if you look at the bigger picture, and the bigger picture being this, that people enter into these contracts with Satan, contracts or covenants. Now you might look at a, I look at a contract or a covenant as something sacred. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Lord entered into a covenant with Moses and the and the people. But uh, I think that this is more of less of a pact and more of a bet. And I think what had happened was, if, like I say, just humor me with this, sure. let's say there was a contract, and John Lennon did enter into a contract with Satan. Now, early on, it's documented that he was absolutely, John Lennon himself was obsessed with Elvis. He wanted to be like Elvis. He sang like Elvis. He dressed like Elvis. He drove his Aunt Mimi crazy with this Elvis, playing the music all the mm-hmm. time. Sure, I So did let's the same. just say for the sake of discussion that John Lennon was going to enter into a contract with the devil. What might the deal be? The deal might have been, hey, I'll make you a bet as opposed to a contract. For 20 years, uh, um, for 20 years in, uh, of, of wealth and fame, I'll make, and I'll make you more popular than Jesus. That's something that John might have, I mean, more popular than Elvis because he loved Elvis. Mm-hmm. And perhaps maybe the deal maybe went down where, hey, look, I could do better than that. I can make you, for, you know, for your soul and your life, I can make you more popular than Jesus. And then that's what John Lennon said himself. I'm, we're more popular than Jesus now. Now, you could say you're taking that out of context, but it's even worse if you read the whole thing. And so what I'm saying is that, okay, let's just say there was a bet. And if you take an anagram is where you, you switch the letters around, these are like all these pieces have to be looked at in totality. You can't just look at one quote from one song. And I cited that song because he says in there, I'm a loser. And I think that he knew. In his heart, he had already known he had lost the bet. Yes, but, but like you yourself, like you your, like you yourself say, you have to look at the the entire picture. And when you look at all the words in that song, I believe you're taking that entire thing out of context. Well, no, no, but just like here's what I'm saying as far as seal the bet. Like here's what I'm saying that you take an anagram like the Beatles. I understand the Beatles and rearrange those letters. It says seal the bet. So let's just say there was a bet. Seal the bet. And then you look at this other clue where on the drum head of Sgt. Pepper, mm-hmm. R. Gary Patterson discovered this one. This one wasn't mine, but my interpretation was different. You put a mirror across that, and it said on the, on the uh, drum head of Sgt. Pepper, it said, I won, nine, he die. In other words, I won. I won the bet, nine, he die. And on the ninth, John Lennon died. So what I'm saying is that these pieces, if you look at that thing, I'm a loser. The song title itself lends itself to this whole, you know, this whole myriad of things that I'm saying. And yes, I don't know if he understood it himself, but the things were passing just as they, 
they passed through and, and became public knowledge. Like, like I said, I'm not the only one that interpret or saw these things in this fashion. So, all right, I, when you look at the entire depth of this possession theory, or right, you know, how did the artist who did the album cover, Sgt. Pepper's, actually come up with the the reversing of the the name, so on and so forth, using a mirror to come up with all this? You know, where did the knowledge and the drive well, you know to this come from? This, this is what the thing is. There's something here. We don't have all the answers. Do you know who was credited with that drumhead? And this no. is what brought J- Gary, our Gary Patterson, to look at that and to. St- why would he be putting? Why would anybody? We were all doing that with Magical Mystery Tour album. We were holding it up in the mirror, trying to read things backwards. What? Who told us to do that? What possessed us to everybody to hold these things up in mirrors? I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to understand this. Now, our Gary Patterson, the reason he even went to that drumhead, and these drumheads have a great deal of significance. Like I said, the Beatles, you rearrange those, it says seal the bet as an anagram. Now, Gary went there because you know the title, you know who was credited with that drumhead? Joe Epgrave. Like epitaph on a grave. Joe now you, Epgrave. Now you see this is a this is a That's quote. Odd. This is a quote from John Lennon about I'm a loser. He said, me and my Dylan period, part of me suspects I'm a loser, and part of me thinks I'm God Almighty. Well, that's tough stuff right there. Yeah. you know, and, uh, I'm saying it. He thought that he, he really believed in his heart that he was more popular. That's a, that's a form of blasphemy. And one of these things, again, this isn't Jonah's Goda's interpretation of what blasphemy is. It's documented. Read what blasphemy is for yourself when you put yourself above God or deny God's existence such as imagine there's no heaven, no hell below us, above us. This is, this is what you call blasphemy, and that's part of the prescribed recipe of what it takes. You can't enter into a covenant or a pact with Satan. And it sounds all weird and funny and globe. It's goofy. But if you look at the pieces, and I don't mean to be cryptic or evasive, mm-hmm. but if you look at the pieces and put it together, that's where, that quote, I'd like to know where you got that quote, because I think, I'm gonna, I think that that's part of this whole thing. Where, where did you get that? Our research department dug it up. I'll, I don't no. know where they got it. Well, I'm going to have to. You're going to have to email me the source because I'm going to take a look at that one myself. The quote because that, anything that's in this book, people mm-hmm. would say, "Oh, this, that." You know, the thing is, there's nothing in this book that isn't already in the public domain. And believe me, myself, my editors, and my uh, publisher were very much, very much, um, you know, determined that we would document every quote yeah. so that we didn't make anything up. Now, Lennon, now uh, we're also getting uh, information from the research department that uh, John Lennon wrote I'm a Loser while on a plane while the Beatles yeah. were touring with Jackie Shannon. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, no, 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 no. No, let me say that again. He wrote it on a plane while the Beatles were touring with Jackie DeShannon. It was a song to it was a songwriting departure from the lighter fare Lennon and McCartney songs that they had uh, previously written. You know, so there's there's two two ways of looking at everything. You can look at the glass half full or the glass half empty. Right, you can. But like how do you like you say it's those 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 things that you can't explain. Like who put that or who knowingly put that the best way to go is by MDC. Who did that? And this is what gets me. 
and I'm not going to go into too much detail because it's complex. And for me to try to, and you can see that I'm stumbling over my words and grasping at things because I have so much to share and I have so much I want to impart to you and to the listeners. But the thing is, like, if you look at his songs and that number nine, he died Tuesday the 9th, number nine. His, he doesn't mention numbers in songs. There's no other number he mentions in his songs than nine. And he didn't even mention them in the songs. He used them in the, in the, in the titles. Number nine dream, one after 909, revolution nine. And so the, the thing is, is that how did he know or how does anyone know who put that the best way to go is by MDC? Who could have done that? All right. I, give it, all right. I now, now hold it. on here. You're, you're, you're sticking to this too tight for me. You're sticking to this <laughs> one thing with MDC and I'm a loser too tight. Give me some other examples. Okay. So Sell the me. other example, the other example is the one after 909 which is a very prophetic song. Mm -hmm. What a prophecy. And that song, I dare say, no one has interpreted those lyrics like I did. And the lyrics are kind of nonsensical. They don't really mean anything. But the one after 909, and again, I'm not going to be, this is very complicated, but I was really determined I was going to try to understand this. And so, like I say, if you look at the year that John Lennon died, ninth, and I've never done this on the radio before, so bear with me, talk to anyone or any interview in this particular instance because it is rather complicated but all it is is i knew it was going to be a tuesday stupid bloody tuesday it had to be a tuesday and it had to be something with the number nine so you say number nine one plus eight 1980 for example the year he died one plus nine is ten plus eight is eighteen one plus eight is nine in numerology it reduces down to a nine so it had it had to be he survived 72 71 which is a 9 year 1980 9 years later okay so i go to the i go to a perpetual calendar and i start looking for tuesday's the 9th do you know tuesday the 9th all, all right, right? there in the year 1980 there's only two tuesday the 9th all right do you know when john lennon wrote one after 909 yes 1958 at the very beginning of it all they recorded that song in like 1962 had a complete, I can't explain what was going on with that song, had a complete take that they were satisfied with, and it was never released. Well, once again, so here, once, once, again once, once again, this is what our research department turned up about one after 909. This is about a lady who tells her boyfriend that she's leaving on the train that leaves after train number 909. He begs her not to go, but she does anyway. He packs his bags and rushes after her and discovers that she is not on the one after 909. He goes home depressed and goes into the wrong house. Okay. Okay, so now listen to this. This mm -hmm. is Listen to this. I can make even more sense of it. And wait till you hear the lyrics at the end, which don't really make sense to that whole thing, which you could say, uh, listen, the one after 909. So there is, there's only two Tuesday the 9th in the year 1980. Mm -hmm. There's the one on September, which is September 9th, 909. And there's the one Tuesday, that's December, the day he died, December 9th. So the one after 909 is the Tuesday after September 9th. It's the one after 909. So now you look at the lyrics to that. So now I know it's Tuesday the 9th. There's the clue. There's the clue. It's going to happen December because it's the one. It's the Tuesday after 909, the one after 909, the Tuesday after 909, which is the I said it's, it's complicated. But then he says, you know, the thing that gets me is I took, and in that song it's very odd that he uses the terminology like, come on, baby said she's traveling on the one after 909. Mm -hmm. I say, move over, honey. I'm traveling on that line. So he's telling us he's leaving on the one after 909. 
I'm leaving on that line. I said, move over once, move over twice. It could be the two Tuesdays. Come, and then he says, come on, baby, don't be cold as ice. That is just unbelievable to me because what? when do you ever hear that referenced when they, they talk about dead people? No, dead you're wrong, you're wrong. You're, no, 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 no. Come on, well, come, no, wait on, a minute. come on, come on, this. come on. I, th- I think you're no, stretched. Wait, 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 no, 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 hold on here. We've got to take a commercial break, but I'm going to tell oh, you. Shoot. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell you something. I think you're stretching a lot here. Oh no! Wait! Wait! Be, wait no! 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 Hold on here! Hold on here! It's my show. Me out. No, no! No! It's my show. I tell you when to talk. All right. Okay. <laughs> now the way it works here is, host has final say. Absolutely. All right. Now I think you're stretching because you ask any husband. And there's many a times when a wife will tell a husband, you know what, you're as cold as ice. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Right here on the all-new Exxon Broadcast Network and the Talkstar Radio Network. Don't go away, we'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. Joe Nesgoda is our special guest. His website is www.thelenninprophecy.com. He's the author of The Lenin Prophecy. Uh, Joe, uh, we've, we've got about uh, three minutes here to wrap up. Um, I, you're very passionate about your book. You're very passionate about your findings. What, to you, what in your opinion, is the smoking gun? What stands out in your mind as the smoking gun that you can point people to that, you know what, this, in my books, is the smoking gun that points that Lenin had made some sort of pact with the devil? Well, I dare say that he used, I can use the word, quote himself, he, he said to Tony Sher- Sheridan at one point in his career, quote unquote, I've sold my soul to the devil. And that was something that I saw, like I said, this book started out fairly innocently as a book on John Lennon and the prophecy of his death. It had nothing to do with Satanism or Satan or Pax with devil. But then all of a sudden, the things turned sinister, and I started to see things that said things like, I've sold my soul to the devil. But isn't it possible that he was just saying that he could have been having a down day or else he didn't realize that the workload that he was getting himself into and that the demands of being such a rock star you know, would have uh, would have been on him and the other boys. Well, it is. That is absolutely unto itself, maybe by itself, yes. But when you put all of it together and tease it out, it seems to point in a different direction. 
Now, is it pointed in the same direction in the life of Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, and George Harrison? Well, the thing is with Paul McCartney, I didn't even know I was writing a book. I just was compiling this information. And then in 19, and I was working on this book for 15 years. And then in 1999, lo and behold, he puts an album out that was called Run, Devil, Run. And then, which really surprised me because this, by this point, I had most of the work already researched and done. And I was very surprised. And then after that, he put a book, a song, an album out um, called Flaming Pie. Mm-hmm. which he refers to John Lennon's famous quote when he asked, why do you call yourself Beatles with an A? He says, a little man came to me on a flaming pie. He said, you will be called Beatles with an A. So I think that there is almost something still perpetrating, something still going on with these Beatles. And the last thing I say would be the fact that their most recent release of the rock band and their, the remastering, mm-hmm. it was released on September 9th, 2009. Nine, nine, nine. I don't think that was coincidence. I think it's excellent marketing. Joe, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Continued success. Joe Nesgoda. I apologize to you and don't, wor- don't worry about that, Joe. Zealous. I do apologize, and please, uh, please forgive me. Don't right. worry. Nothing. No need thank to you. say that. You take care of yourself. Thank you. Joe Nesgoda thank is you our all. special guest. www.thelennonprophecy.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario on the all-new Exxon Broadcast Network and the Talkstar Radio Network. I